0: what's your ideal age difference gosh dang it
1: <laughs> yeah you knew that was happening are we going live yes yeah, yeah, live. there we go <laughs> there live. we are i'm sorry i was caught off guard You get caught off guard <laughs> you should have seen that coming from a mile away that yeah. one that, specific, that was so easy that specific All right, thing let me introduce was not. the show welcome to the outlaw radio show my name is zach adams i pastor a church located just outside of athens georgia the name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. If you're not local but looking for a service you can attend online, a service that teaches, focuses on teaching the Bible, uh, check us out. Our uh, service is live streamed both on facebook.com uh, slash calvary316 or our YouTube channel is calvary316.live. So again, if you're local, come hang out with us one Sunday. If not, check us out online. You can learn all about the church, what we believe, what we're about, Uh, By visiting numerous websites, Uh, they all direct you to the same place, uh, calvary316.com, .org, .net, Uh, uh, .com, you can go to uh, uh, outlawchurch.org, that'll take you to us, Church at the Dump, uh, that'll also take you to us, we've got a lot of URLs uh, for various reasons, so check us out. I'm joined in studio, as always, by the man that that needs no introduction, uh, Pope Creighton. How are you doing, buddy? Pope of the world,
0: Pope of the We're, world. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it now because I forgot Ash- that I used it last episode. And
1: so in reference, someone, referenced, someone sent us an referenced email about it, it in yes. the email.
0: So hello, um, Pope of the world. Yes, Jeremy Boring can be God King as much as he wants. I'm Pope of the world. You're Pope of
1: the world. So how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's been, I uh, am, uh, been two weeks since we've been. It uh, has. I'm tired. I'm doing well though. It's it's good. I like good, your good. Uh, your get fed today T-shirt. Yes, get check fed.
0: Let me get out of the get fed today.
1: Check it out. It's online. Those those kind folks at Get Fed Today hooked you up with a t-shirt, I I can tell. The kind folks over there at Get Fed Today. Yes,
0: the kind folks at Get Fed Today who have nothing to do with any of us hooked me up with a t-shirt. I like the shirt.
1: I like the the shirts. You know, we've we've tried several different varieties of t shirts. Those are very comfortable. They have.
0: They've tried several different varieties of T-shirts. That's right. They well, I mean,
1: we have too. We've tried from Outlaw Radio to the church t-shirts, we've tried various right, styles right, of right, shirts. Right. Those are very comfortable. So uh, if, if, if people want to find how you can get a Get Fed Today uh, t-shirt, they can go to getfedtoday.com, uh, dot dot com, and they can find out how to grab a t-shirt. So, Also joined in studio by uh, four brothers, four friends. We'll start. We'll work right to left. Uh, we got uh, the brother-in-law is sitting there. We've got Mr. Nicholas Mani and Deal Daddy Derek. How you doing? Beautiful. Good. And uh, and then we're also joined by Spice Daddy. You know, Daddy. you know, you you, you you make a gesture like that, but this is also podcasted. So I know no but one can say see words. that I- on a podcast. You got to use words. I, Hold I'm on. You know what? You know what?
0: You know what? Chaps my hide. You're the first one to talk in the episode, but then when we invite <laughs> right. you to talk, <laughs> you're <old>, all <laughs> tips. That's because have. everything my important that goodness. needs to be said
1: is said at the very beginning. <laughs> it's, the t- it's the tip of the cap, uh, and then we're also um, joined in studio by Kyle Parkin. How you doing, buddy? Good. I'm also their
2: brother-in-law. Yes, that's true. You're
1: also a brother-in-law. So I don't want to yeah. be left out of that. You, you shouldn't be <laughs> left out of that. So. Uh, now, the brother-in-laws, you guys went last week. One of the reasons we didn't have this show, in addition to church obligations, you guys were out of town. Uh, you, you, All all three of you and your families traveled to Arizona. Uh, Kyle, I think your grandfather had a an important birthday and it was kind of a celebration, right? Yep,
2: big 90th birthday party. It was fun. Good time. That's
1: awesome. Yep. Now, I, I, I've gotten it from uh, several of you. I've gotten it from your parents um, that you guys went and did kind of an excursion and went and saw the Grand Canyon. And all of you were blown away by it. Now, for, for those that might be watching or listening, um, you know, you hear about the Grand Canyon. You, you Google it. You see pictures of it. And you're like, oh, that looks cool. Like, no one's debating whether or not uh, it's inspiring or it's awesome looking. Um, but it's it's a totally different thing when you go uh, deal, Daddy. You and I were talking about it earlier. You want to share just a little bit about the experience yeah. of actually going to the Grand Canyon? Like even towards the end of it, or like maybe
3: towards the middle, like taking more pictures. It was like you'd be looking and take a picture and look at the picture. And it's like why do I even do this? Like why it, it doesn't compare whatsoever to the picture the I just took. T- doesn't, yeah, doesn't work. Like what you can see and how like it's so disorienting how large it is. It's truly beautiful. Yeah, I felt like I had vertigo or something going on inside my head the Yo. whole time I was there. Like, something was not, like, pulling me towards it, like, that kind of thing. But it was just, like, this weird circling. Like, I was just, like, I couldn't fi- yeah. like figure the out scale the dimensions, it. Yeah, scales. Exactly.
0: It was just bizarre. You're looking
2: at stuff that's, like, 10 miles away, and there's nothing else in between you. Everything else is, you know, thousands of feet down, so... It, you but your brain just can't really comprehend that yeah. that perception that depth perception yeah
3: exactly like yeah. a rock that looks this big it looks like oh that's human size but it's massive yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous
1: the, uh, it's been years and years and years i went i was, went as a teenager um, but to me what what just blew my mind about it was the colors you know just the color of of the rocks and just depending on what what part of the day you were just the different hues that would come out of the rocks yeah. the different colors with the sky mm-hmm. I mean it really is um, I was I was texting uh, Derek with with Kelly your wife uh, about some church related stuff by I, I asked hey how was the trip and her, her response was like I, I don't understand how someone could go to the Grand Canyon and not and not believe that there is a an, not just an all-powerful God but an artistic creative God yeah.
3: Um, there's no reason for the Grand Canyon to exist that's kind of, like, fathomable. It's like, for what? Like, this has got to be for something. But, yeah, to be there and, like, there's no way that there isn't a God that created this.
1: It's a very, very cool Grand yeah. Canyon. So glad you guys had a great trip. A shout-out to uh, uh, Grandpa Parkin and his 90th birthday. Uh, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. Speaking, speaking of 90th, I don't know if you guys heard, and uh, this is not a rant, but just something to kind of open with. Is uh, did you guys hear yesterday? I think it was yesterday that uh, Charles Stanley passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for those of you that might not be uh, aware of who Charles Stanley is, um, as far as Atlantans or anyone in the in the South goes, uh, Charles Stanley was the longtime uh, pastor, um, Southern Baptist preacher um, at First Baptist Atlanta, and uh, and in fact, uh, it was First Baptist Atlanta where uh, my mom and dad met. Uh, they were both attending. Um, First Baptist of Atlanta. In fact, my mom was in a college and career uh, group with Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio. kind um, a kinda,
0: stacked group. That was a stacked,
1: <laughs> stacked college and career ministry for sure. Um, and uh, But just, you know, I'm a, a man that um, definitely had some flaws. Um, you know, I, I didn't, this is kind of this does turn into a, a small rant. Um, <laughs> we all do. Really. Really? We all do. Oh. rant. That was the most telegraphed transition <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, you can switch to yourself on video when you're talking. Great. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of how that works. I didn't want to interrupt the rant. Po- Pope of the world. Um, so, no, I had, you know, I've, I've, I've heard of Andy Stanley, not Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, uh, for years and years and years. I mean, he's, he's kind of an iconic figure in the South, especially if you're in the Atlanta area. Um, I've always heard nothing but really good things, you know, from, from my dad or from, from others, uh, just biblically solid, you know, good preacher. He was the head of the Southern Baptist convention, you know, for years and years and years. But, you know, I, I have to say I had never, I had never actually heard, uh, a Bible study by Charles Stanley. Any of you guys ever actually listened to a Bible study? Yeah. on uh, Victory 91.5. Yeah, okay. So you, you listen ago. on yeah. the radio? Yeah. Okay. So I, I hadn't, I hadn't until I was in the hospital. So last year in the hospital, and this was like the early days where I had just, I had just regained consciousness and was just like starting to connect dots and put together my faculties and, and I was, I was in it. Um, It was a Sunday morning and Sunday mornings are typically when, um, whether my mom or or my wife, um, they would be a little bit later because of church and and other obligations. And, um, and so I would, I would get the nurse to get something on the TV for me. And, uh, and the, the Ukraine war had just started. I was like, I don't want to watch the news. Um, I can't deal with the news. Um, I am uh, in a really bad health situation. Um, I, I really need to eliminate stress. Um, so watching the news was a no-go. Um, and then um, there's only so much of ESPN you can, you can, <laughs> you can watch before. It's just so repetitive. Um, and so I, I asked the nurse to just kind of flip through the channels for me because I couldn't move my arms. Um, so I was totally dependent. So they were going through the channels, and uh, boom, there was Charles Stanley uh, teaching, and I was like, "Leave it there. Let me, let me. I'd like to watch this." Because again, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't been to church. Um, I had was kind of devoid of a lot of that kind of connection. So I, you know, in my, my hospital room, I watched uh, a Bible study from from Charles Stanley, and you know, again, it was there was nothing uh, super deep about it. Um, there was nothing where I thought, well, wow, that was, that was groundbreaking. I've never thought of that before. Um, it was pretty, um, pretty elementary and, and what he was presenting, but I totally understood the appeal because he was able to take, um, you know, what could very well be deep, uh, complex ideas. And he had just this kind of like Southern charm way of making them very simple. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you go back, Billy Graham was, was an expert at that where, you know, just his ability to take, you know, big ideas of redemption and justification and, you know, salvation and present them in such like a, a simplistic presentation, you know? Um, so uh, Charles Stanley is with Jesus and, um, um, you know, was a good man, did a lot of good things. And so it's worth, worth pointing, worth, worth, uh. Worth emphasizing, just bringing to people's attention in case they didn't know. So, um, so it's a shame his son's a heretic. So I've got a question. Might not be in heaven because with Because you but, ended it you know, like
0: that. Because yeah. you ended it like that, I feel comfortable asking this question now.
1: Um,
0: because I ended it yeah. like that. <laughs> so I have a question. Um, we've talked about translations on the show before. And one of the kind of fallbacks when you're talking about translations and, quote, unquote, which translation is the best.
1: And we're talking um, translations of the bible
0: yes translations of the bible because who cares about translating anything else um like one of the fallbacks that a lot of people fall back to when you're talking about translations and what to read when you're reading your bible is the best translation is any translation that you will list, that you will actually read so whatever you right. like is yeah. the best translation assuming we're not talking about heresy right um
1: if your translation we, as and, and also i would add as long as it's a translation Right. For example, the message is a commentary. It's not a translation. Right. And if you like the message, that's cool, but Wonderful you should also supplement. read the Bible. It's a supplement to your Bible.
0: Um, yes. just from the way that you were describing Charles Stanley, would you say that that is also a valid, at least a valid rule of thumb for teachers? If you know, we, we like to get deep on things. I like to get dip, deep on things because I find the nuances fun to argue about. Um, but it sounds like you're saying Charles Stanley is not very deep. But you thought that he was not heresy; he was a good teacher. Is that a valid reason to choose to listen to someone like Charles Stanley? Because yeah, he doesn't go very deep. Well, how, how many? But I enjoy it, and he's speaking truth. That's an interesting question. We
4: how many sermons yeah.
1: did you did you listen? Oh, to I was it? just one. It was just yeah. One. yeah, yeah so I, just I would listen occasion. to him pretty
4: frequently on the radio, and he did get pretty deep on on a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah and I think he did a good job of it.
1: Now, hmm. like I, I would take, so to answer your question, I think what justice says, it's is absolutely correct. And I'm not, I'm not even claiming to be right. I wasn't any type to of an authority. Anybody. Yeah. I'm not trying to be an authority on Charles Stanley and in, in any regard. Um, I will say though, that, you know, th- this kind of takes a step back to um, ministry philosophies and, and what's your, what, what churches are providing the person that's attending, um, you know, I don't I don't have a problem with with pastors that maybe make their Sunday morning study um, fairly basic and, um, and, and for lack of a better way of frame framing it maybe broad reaching, um, as long as there's another another avenue where we're actually digging deeper into truth, um, for example for for years. You know, I'll take Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa Pastor Chuck Smith as an example. Uh, Pastor Chuck on Sunday mornings. So the the general Calvary Chapel format for 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 most guys for years and years and years, modeled after Pastor Chuck, was that their midweek, their Wednesday night service was the hardcore verse by verse, chapter by chapter Bible study. So again, if you if you went to Bible college with Calvary Chapel and you went through Pastor Chuck's, you were going through the Wednesday night studies. You were going through like um the MP three set, the through the Bible was all recorded on Wednesdays. Um Joe Foch is the same way. John Corson's the same way. My dad's happens to be the same way. Wednesday night, uh the midweek service was the more hardcore, um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're covering a chapter, two chapters. We're going through the Bible, uh, from cover to cover and, and we're digging deep. Um and then and then while that was happening on Wednesday, Sunday morning was the pastor taking some deeper concept or some concept within that section of scripture, pulling that out and making it kind of a topical based message for Sunday morning. Uh, So it, 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 Sunday mornings ended up being kind of the first step into come to the Wednesday nights. You've probably heard this growing up at my dad's church for years. My dad was like, if you, if you only have one, one uh, study that you can come to come to Wednesday night, don't come to Sunday morning. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you'll 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 get more from Wednesday night, right? Wednesday was always the through the Bible study. It was the through the Bible study. It was the heartier, meatier, more substantive study, and then Sunday morning had more of a more of a, I wouldn't call it elementary, but it just um, approachable, maybe approachable. I, I'm 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 lacking the right way of defining it. Um, it just wasn't as deep, and, and and often and and the good way of saying it, it was shorter, so mm-hmm. you know. Wednesday night could be an hour long Bible study. Um, Sunday morning was thirty five to forty five minutes at the most, and that was a functional thing because of multiple services and you had to get people in, get people out you know it was it was it was a thing and it's it's harder to go deeper when it's a shorter amount of time um, I, I don't know how First Baptist Atlanta did it. Um, I know a church like that that is Bible based you know even though Sunday morning might be more surface level I, I'm sure they had all kinds of uh, whether it was Sunday school classes or supplemental Bible studies, that home would, groups, home groups of. that would take you that would take you deeper, um, and that and that is that is a model um, at, at Calvary Three Sixteen because we don't have a midweek. We, our our ministry philosophy is that with today's culture, you know, it used to be it used to be that churches were 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 largely community driven, so that everybody that went to the church lived within, let's say, a five. Maybe ten mile at the most you know radius, so you were you were close to the church that you were attending, um, so Sunday morning, Wednesday night a lot of times Wednesday night you would come and have dinner, you know old mm-hmm. southern Baptist you'd come and you'd have the pizza dinner and then and then you would end up with the Bible study, et cetera and and it was a community thing well today life has changed like everybody commutes, people work all over the place, uh, churches are not solely community driven um, you know people commute to church with the fast-paced nature of life from day 1 at Calvary 316 our ministry philosophy is that people really had at the most um a plus one um schedule bandwidth yeah it was sunday plus maybe something else maybe and, and that was really within like a monthly context so like you, you do sunday morning and then if you do a midweek You've now eliminated any type of women's Bible studies, any type of, type of men's Bible studies, any type of additional events, uh, because people don't don't have enough time, and so you begin to emphasize other things. So, because we don't do a midweek in that context, um, we've we've intentionally then made our Sunday morning what a Wednesday night was in a traditional Calvary Chapel. Mm-hmm. It is a hearty verse by verse, chapter by chapter Bible study, and we do that on Sunday morning. Um, why? Well, because we don't have anything else that we do. Now, we'll throw in women's events. Everything, our plus one is more for community development, mm-hmm. is what we emphasize versus another Bible study. Uh, even, even within our, our women's ministries or our men's ministries, they're not supplemental Bible studies. We don't have a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. Uh, the things that we do aside from Sunday are aimed at being community-driven, d- the development of koinonia and relationships doesn't mean that there can't be a devotion, but that's not the intention. We're not going to additional Bible studies because we make Sunday hearty, meaty, healthy, and and then we provide a ton of additional resources throughout the week from Get Fed Today to Al Radio um, where it's easy for you to consume things uh, to enhance your own personal study of God's Word. You, you go back to, and again, I'll say this, and it kind of dovetails. Um, everything I know about Louis Giglio, I don't, I don't have problems with Louis Giglio, Passion City Church. You know the passion conferences, whatnot. I think Louis, a, Andy Stanley, I have a, a lot of other feelings about. But like a guy like Louis Giglio, here's my here's my contention though. I, I just don't like it being branded as a church. Um, if they would brand it as an outreach ministry, that that Sunday morning driven, and that and that our intention is to create a service um, for um, unbelievers as kind of the entryway into getting saved, and then we feed them to churches uh, that can pastor them and mentor them and, and equip them, I, th- I would be 100% on board with it. Like the Harvest Crusades do. Like a Harvest Crusade. But And again, Passion City Church, you go to it, it's like a Harvest Crusade every Sunday. You know, It is it is a full-blown production. Um, but are you going to get a whole lot of substance from Louis Giglio? No. Uh, you'll, you'll get some, I think, some thought-provoking things. You'll get some ideas, but you're not going through the Bible you know, th- there's, not, there's not a depth. Now, they'll try to say, well, we, we move people into our home groups, which then provides the depth. And if that works, great. Willow Creek did a full study about that ministry model, and it's a total failure. So I would just like to see data showing uh, that it actually um, you know, yields any, any particular fruit. Uh, Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, they, they ran a study about the same thing. It do- do- doesn't work. So um, to answer your question, I, I, that was kind of a roundabout way. But I think I, I maybe unpacked it and got to the gist of it. Yeah, you did. That wasn't even the topic. Wasn't even the topic. So you you just you kinda led me into a, a different rant. This was a Creighton induced rant. It's not the first. Probably won't be probably the last. Probably won't be the last. You guys have any any follow up thoughts with that before we get to the actual topic? Oh, nope. So yeah. just in case you are new to the show, again we are recording a podcast that gets released on Thursday. This is the live stream of the recording of that podcast. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, really whatever platform uh, you get your podcasting from uh, the way the show works. What makes it unique is I, I don't really have a, a good idea. Have a, a Creighton will provide a little bit of a teaser uh, for what the topic will be. Um, so we can put some semblance of thoughts together, but as far as the, the, the show goes, Creighton drops a topic. It's my job to turn that into an edifying conversation, a Bible study if possible. Um, and then if you're watching, if you're joining us with the live stream, you can interact, share your thoughts, <laughs> ask questions, Um, on the two feeds on our YouTube channel as well as Facebook. So, Creighton, with all that being said, uh, the floor is yours, brother.
0: All right. So uh, you mentioned earlier that I grew up in your father's church, which is Calvary Stone Mountain. If you don't know, it's in Snellville, Georgia. It used to be on Stone Mountain, Georgia. But Calvary Stone Mountain grew up there. You grew up there. Uh, Kyle grew up there. Uh, Nick didn't, and um, Justin and Derek grew up at a different Calvary Chapel
1: Um, don't have to run through the history. What's the So the
0: reason for the history is because what, what I want to talk about tonight is I grew up thinking that alcohol was a like really, really, really bad thing. Like to the point where it was like, if you have alcohol, it is like quenching the Holy spirit or whatever. Like it's really awful. Okay. Um, that's where I grew up and it makes sense. I have, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Um, so my, both my parents, neither of my parents should drink alcohol, and they were very, uh, they drilled into us that we weren't going to drink alcohol when we grew up. Um, I would like to pair that with the fact that Jesus drank alcohol, at least it seems like it in the New Testament. He talks get about to drinking your, get wine your a lot. Get to your
1: question, since you're going to, we are going to take us down this road. Oh my gosh, I have. Since you're going to take us down this road, road. talking about a couple of weeks ago, get to the question. we're getting,
0: you ranted for 20 minutes. So. <laughs> My question is, what does the Bible actually say about alcohol? How should we as Christians approach it? And how should we as Christians approach people who drink alcohol? Because it's all three of those. um, A lot of this is stuff that I've dealt with earlier in my life. I'm giving them 30 now. Um, But I would like to go over all of it for people who either are new to alcohol or just new Christians and are dealing with these same questions how do we deal with it as Christians given, especially in the Bible belt South um, alcohol has this huge negative connotation in the church. Like it is serious. Um, But the Bible talks about alcohol quite a bit. um, And basically all of the patriarchs in the Bible are seen at some point drinking alcohol. So uh, we're going to do an alcohol episode. This yeah, we're, gonna alcohol we're going to do the alcohol episode. We're going to do the alcohol episode. So uh, have fun. Okay, let me... I'm, <laughs> we don't need to go back to me at this point. I'm out. Um,
1: well, but. I mean, before, <laughs> before, before I say anything at all, uh, I want to give the guys here just a quick opportunity. If you have any introductory thoughts to the topic um, you, you'd like to just throw out there, and then, and then, and then I'm going to approach kind of things from a biblical standpoint, try to unpack some ideas.
4: I have a slight story from uh one of my times at another church uh that wasn't Calvary Chapel is uh he, he so the the guy that was acting as pastor he came from southern baptist background. He chose not to drink alcohol. He didn't have anything against it. Um but growing up in that southern baptist is very they're teetotalers. So I mean they're they're very anti-alcohol. And I think he was doing or he was telling me about a time when he was talking about Jesus turning water into wine. And then one of his parishioners were saying, now, pastor, uh, it was strong. It was just grape juice. And I was like, me as an archaeologist, I'm like, that's not correct at all. Um, I can go back and do residue analysis on on different wine urns and stuff like that. And the, and the, the Israelites, that whole area was known for Really, really good wine. Uh, anyway, he was like, "Well, Jesus turned water into wine, and it was actual wine." And I just remember him saying that 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 person said, "Well, Jesus must have been wrong about that kind of thing," so, <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> make sense. It doesn't. But I, I think what people get so caught up on the legalism of certain things that it becomes a thing instead of just being. Either an enjoyment or okay. You see, what I'm no, saying? no,
1: no, no, that's good. And as a matter of fact, that that's going to adjust my approach to a degree. We're going to get to the, what the Bible has to say in a moment because that's important. Let's let's talk a little bit about because because Justin, you've you've touched on this, Creighton. You're you're kind of uh, your lead in was very heavy on on um, the traditional Southern Christian perspective on alcohol, which mm-hmm. I mean I, I might take a little bit of Um, umbrage with just in the context that like um yes and no um i think one of the biggest issues that people have with alcohol in the south is that um the things that that were said from the pulpit um got abandoned come monday morning um so alcohol was bad alcohol was as the devil but then everyone went and drank on monday um and drank monday like it was it was there was this uh, doctrinal thing. It was this was stated you know, that was not lived, but no one no one exactly lived it, and everyone was kind of a hypocrite about the topic. Um, let me kind of address a little bit about about the church and its and its history with alcohol, um, and I, I I don't want to spend too much time on this, um, but I think it's interesting. And again, we're going to kind of address this primarily from an American standpoint. Um, various cultures have different. This is not a topic when it comes to. Um, European Christians, um, and in fact, Pastor Chuck Smith um, used to tell the story because he was he was against drinking alcohol. Um, but he went to, I believe it was it, it was in England, um, and, I, and if I get the country wrong, I'm sorry. But he was he was in a maybe Ireland or England um, <clears throat> in the 80s, and and he, um, you know, he taught this Bible study, et cetera, et cetera, and and they went out to the pub, you know, to get to get food afterwards. Um and every all of the pastors got a pint of beer and Pastor Chuck was kind of taken back by it, so he ordered a cup of coffee. What he didn't realize is that everybody that was all the pastors drinking beer had the same reaction to Pastor Chuck ordering a cup of coffee mm. as Pastor Chuck <laughs> had with him ordering beer. They were like, That's a drug. You know. <laughs> how can you do that? Like there is there's a mm. culture there is a cultural thing to it. Um, that, that has to be recognized and there are different parts of the world that have different customs, different relationships with alcohol in general. Um, and so we we got to address this specifically from an American standpoint. Um, and it is true that, that the American church um, has this very interesting um, tit-for-tat with alcohol depending on your denominational affiliations. Uh, Southern Baptists have always been teetotalers and, and, that, and that roots itself back to Puritanism. Um, the Puritans, the Quakers—you know there, there's a, a, a very fundamental traditional uh, strain of Christianity in America uh, that has been uh, very anti-alcohol. Uh, mainline denominations, uh, specifically that find their origins and roots in the Reformation, um, which I know the the Puritans did as well, but but your your Lutherans, your Anglicans, your Presbyterians, your even even some of your Methodists um, have never had a problem with alcohol. Um, and have drank alcohol. Um, your Catholic, The Catholic Church as well, uh, whether it be wine and just the, the cultural the cultural nature of that. Things really reached a head in, in America in regards to alcohol. You know, Martin Luther, the Martin Luther, his wife, Catherine, her reputation in, in Wittenberg, in Germany, is that she was known as being the best breweress in town. Like, again, just... You know, the head of the reformation, the, the founder of the Protestant church, uh, his wife was the best breweress in town. Like, we've come a long way in, in how we approach that's a
0: gravestone achievement,
1: right? A gravestone achievement. A lot of things made a, made a drastic turn, and, and, and you can even say an understandable turn following World War I. Um, so, so coming out of World War I, I mean, World War I, if you study it, it was, um, it was a war like, like none other, like World War II was bad. But as far as like the human atrocity, like what people experienced um, in, in the trenches uh, during World War I, from mustard gas to hand-to-hand combat, uh, the way that warfare was conducted um, in the First World War was brutal. It's why we have war crimes. It is why we have war crimes. It's why like, like the nations of the world was like, we can't, we can't, we might all fight again, but we, we can't do, it do this. We again. can't do that again. And so you had, you had a whole generation um, of, of men who had experienced this just dramatic trauma. Uh, they come back to America, and largely they abandoned church. Um, and the church became very female-centric. Um, so you had all these women that were in church. The kids were in church, but the men didn't come back. Atheism rose. Uh, people were like, they can't." after experiencing what I've experienced, there can't be a God. Um, and what happened? Well, they turned to the bottle. Um, you know, looking at American culture going into the Roaring Twenties, you know, you ended up with like this, this, this reaction to World War One, where the church became very feminized because the men didn't come back, and the men instead went to the bar, and and, and as a result, um, were terrible fathers, were poor providers. Like society was, was dealing with some major issues, which which gave rise to what, historically, you want to take a guess? Starts with a P and ends with Ohibition. <laughs> Prohibition. you know, so you ended up with the women's suffrage movement. The churches were at the forefront of it. And and what were they doing? And they were identifying like the, the problem here is alcohol, no, but it wasn't. The problem was, was the emotional trauma th- that, that people had experienced in world war one and were not dealing with. And alcohol provided an escape from reality. Uh, they were drinking to forget to, to, to drown their sorrow. Um, and, and the reaction, and you can understand why, was, well, we need to get rid of alcohol um, because of the effect that it's having culturally among our men. Um, so you ended up with prohibition. Now, prohibition, you can study it, um, was a terrible idea. Um, it, didn't wor- it, didn't, it didn't work at all. It gave rise to organized crime. Um, it's why we, ha- we, we still have, we have a Kennedy that announced his run for president today, because of all the money that the Kennedys made during uh, prohibition and running Derek, alcohol, what did you do? It wasn't me, brother. I wish <laughs> <laughs> not that Kennedy. You also, oh, got you sure. also have NASCAR. You're a little better off. So. Oh, oh, and, and, and you have you have NASCAR as a res, as a result of, of bootlegging and, and mm-hmm. there's a whole there's a whole like there was a whole it. you can study prohibition. Uh, Ken Burns does a br- documentary uh, called Prohibition. It's very interesting and insightful into just. Um, uh, the the negative consequences of trying to legislate morality,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which which we've had a problem with ever since. Ever since the idea of legislating morality, uh, legislation should reflect morality, but it can't change the heart of people. And so, the church was largely against alcohol and had this push against alcohol um, because it misdiagnosed. It, it went the easy route in dealing with an issue. Um, that, that's kind of the origins of where the church really becomes um, anti-alcohol. Um, and we still see some of the repercussions of that today. I will say, though, um, that, that you're getting less and less... Like, we're dealing with such large, sweeping, radical, demonic cultural moves in American society that the, uh, the, the quabble about whether or not you can have a beer at lunch, I don't hear people having that argument anymore. Wh- wh- wherever you fall on the issue... Like, like the, like we we're, we're dealing with such bigger, more pressing things that like, I don't think a lot of people are making, it, it's not the same cultural issue within Christianity that it was maybe 10 years ago. I think that that's just a personal opinion on it. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, so you're in this dynamic where cultural things happen with alcohol. What does the Bible say? Um, first and foremost, let me, let me say from the beginning that the Bible, from cover to cover, um, there is one consistent theme in regards to alcohol. Uh, there's a consistent warning, a consistent prohibition, um, and that is about drunkenness. Um, you can't get drunk without drinking. <laughs> um, but there is a prohibition, a warning about drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. Um, drunkenness can destroy your life. Drunkenness can ruin your family. Drunkenness can have generational consequences. Um, and it is true. If you don't drink, you, you won't get drunk. That being said, if you don't eat, you can't be a glutton either. Um, so that, that only plays itself out so far. So drunkenness unequivocally is a sin. Now people say, well, well, define drunkenness. Um, I've, I've had a conversation with someone who's like, well, what does it mean to be drunk? Like, that's the stupidest question because you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like anyone that's ever, drank, like, you know, you know, you know when it's too much and when it's too much, it's wrong. And the only person,
0: the, really the only person that can say, what does it mean to be drunk is someone who hasn't been drunk before anybody else. It's like, you know, exactly you what know you, mean. Exactly. you know, exactly what you're doing. Yes. Like we're on the same page. You just don't want to, you want to pretend like you're not.
1: You're just want to argue. You're wanting right. us the to argue is. about circular semantic nonsense, you know what, you know what drunkenness is. And, and, and you're arguing about it because you do it probably every weekend and it's wrong. And you don't want me to tell you it's wrong and it's sinful and it's ungodly and it's not Christ-like and it's a tarnish on your witness and you can absolutely ruin your life. And you can kill yourself and hurt somebody else if you get behind a wheel. Um, so, so let's, let's be honest about that. Um, and and for for those Christians that are on one side of the argument, you know that that don't have a prohibition against drinking, um, there is too much drunkenness in the church. There are too many weekends that people drink too much, and they're like, "Oh, I have liberty." You don't have liberty for that. That's a sin and that's wrong, and it's it's a poor witness. And now I'm not trying to hammer anyone in particular or say anything that doesn't need to be said, but it needs to be said. It's it's, it's truth. Like you can drink and you can drink like Jesus drank. Like there is, there is a godly approach to alcohol is fundamentally amoral. It's a, it's a thing. It's a substance. It, it, it can be used for beneficial purposes and it can be used for destructive purposes. Um, it's, it's one of those things that you have to approach within, within moderation. And I will say just the way that blood alcohol contents work, um, how much Justin drinks is going to be radically different than what Creighton could drink because of your, because I'm small, your body sizes and your chemistries. So he could drink more and be fine than you could drink and be wrong. Right. And be in sin. And so there is a personal angle to this just uh, biologically, biologically. Now the Bible in no way, shape or form prohibits the consumption of alcohol. Um, in fact, uh, throughout the Psalms, you find illustrations of um, of the the joy, uh, you know, wine and there being joy and people are like, oh, well, it's it's a chemically induced feeling. Well, everything in, in life is chemically induced, everything. Just because something is chemically induced doesn't make it wrong. That just makes you human, and so feeling good because you you had a drink at the end of a long day. That doesn't, because you feel good, that doesn't make it wrong. Um, just because you feel a certain way when you do something doesn't immediately make that, any of that wrong. Now, can it be abused? Can it be taken advantage of? Can you drink for the wrong reasons? For sure. Um, again, why you drink is, is a component to this, so don't let me forget to get back to that if, if necessary. Okay. So when you're looking at what the Bible has to say about alcohol, there's not a prohibition against drinking. There is an absolute prohibition against drunkenness. And I would just add, again, not to to beat the dead horse, but if you have um, a genetic predisposition, like if you have a family history of alcohol abuse, I just think you need to be more careful. That doesn't mean that there's a prohibition to it, but that means that that you know up front that that this could easily be a vice um, in your life um, by just the genetic, the genetic markers. Now there's a lot of that that gets regurgitated that we don't quite know about. Um, I have not read an, an actual study that, that says that there's a, a, a drunk gene, you know that, mm-hmm. that premeditates that. There's a lot of cultural things that surround that. Uh, there's a lot of environmental causes around that. Um, at the same time, as we should with all things, we should be careful about misrepresenting Jesus because that's the goal. We want to represent Jesus. We want to reflect Jesus. Now, let's look at Jesus. Um, Did Jesus drink? Well, he had to have or the accusation that he was a glutton and a wine-bibber would have made no sense whatsoever because that was one of the great accusations that the Pharisees had of Jesus is that he he was a drunkard. Now, if Jesus didn't drink, then that seems like a very poor strategy. Right. Nobody can accuse Mother Teresa of being a drunkard. They accused Jesus of, of being empowered by Satan. Why? Well, because he was de- demonstrating supernatural power. So there was, there was an element of, of... There was a seed of truth in the accusation. Like the, the, the accusation has to have something to be based upon. Um, Jesus' first miracle, as already mentioned by Justin, was turning water into wine. Uh, at a wedding... At a celebration. Um, and again, Justin already mentioned the archaeological aspects, but even from the text itself, because people will say, oh, well, they didn't drink water because it, it, it had all kinds of parasites in it and, and uh, it was bad for your digestive system. Which is um, true. They which which is, which is wine ab- into the water. Absolutely true. But that's not what this is talking about. Absolutely Exactly. In fact, in the text, like it, it wouldn't even make sense because... You know, so Jesus, they run out of wine at the wedding. And this is a complete taboo. It's, it's shameful. And Mary, who's somehow like the wedding planner involved in this, <laughs> um, comes to Jesus and is like, I have a big problem. We've run out of wine. You need to do something. You know, Jesus is like, well, woman, what do you want me to do? And so he has them fill up seven pots. I think it's seven. Uh, full of water. And then they go and they start pouring it out and it's wine. But we know it's not just like watered down because the people's reaction is like, holy cow. Most of the time you serve the good wine at the beginning. And then at the end of the party, you start pouring out like the the low shelf stuff. Why? Well, because everybody's already feeling good and they're not, you know, their palate is already kind of leveled out. Again, the, the whole story wouldn't make, it make sense if we're not talking about actual alcohol. Why? Because it's like, hey, this the watered-down wine that I had earlier is not nearly as good. You know, it just doesn't even make sense. So from from just the basis of the archaeology, of the culture, of the region, of just even the world. Like, alcohol has been around since Noah. What's one of the first things that Noah does when he gets off the ark? Plants a vineyard. Plants a vineyard. Now, he gets himself into trouble. Why? He got hammered. Um wasn't, wasn't smart. Um, but he immediately, um, I mean, alcohol wines always been a, been a part of, been a part of, of life and and a fabric of society. Um, there is a medicinal component to alcohol. Um, and again, you can read studies and and I'm not going to quote or point any of them out because you can read one study that says no amount of alcohol is good for you. And you can read other studies that says in, in moderation, it is, um, Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Um, and Paul was not encouraging Timothy to drink, but for medicinal purposes, saying, hey, you're free. Uh, people will bring up the topic when you're discussing alcohol about, and this is, this is the go-to. Um, well, okay, the Bible might not prohibit it. And again, I think if you're, if you're being honest about the scriptures, there is not a prohibition about drinking, but they'll say you should forgo drinking alcohol out of preference for the weaker brother. So the angle goes, well, you don't know who's in your midst. They might have a struggle with alcohol. You should not drink because you don't know who's watching and they might see you drinking and be like, well, I can drink and, and and that create a problem for them. So you should forgo a liberty in preference of other Christians that may Uh, struggle with with alcohol. Uh, The problem with that dynamic is that there is no biblical justification for that because that's not what Paul's talking about at all when he's referencing the weaker vessel uh, or the weaker brethren. Uh, Case in point, in Galatians, as it correlates to the book of Acts, there's this story where Peter, who's Jewish, he's kosher, he goes to visit the Gentile brethren in Antioch. And he goes there, and they're pig-eating Gentiles, man. They're eating whatever they want. And so Peter goes up there, and he's hanging out with them. He's eating what they're eating. Like, we're free in Christ. I'm not, def- you know, a man's not defiled by what, what he puts in, but, but, you know, but what, what comes, comes out. out. Yeah. Um, and so we're free. You know, Peter, Peter recognizes liberty in Christ, and he's with Gentiles who are not, don't have to live a kosher diet, and they're having a good time. They're eating bacon and sausages and whatever, And so he's right there with him, just enjoying it, rocking out. It's good. And then a bunch of Judaizers, other other Christians, come from Jerusalem to Antioch. And what does Peter do? Uh, He gets intimidated. Uh, He he runs back to his kosher brothers. Uh, He stops hanging out with the Gentiles. And Paul sees this and rebukes Peter to his face. Why? Well, He was enjoying a liberty, and then he forgoed that liberty to appease the legalist, which is the very opposite concept we're talking about. Paul rebuked Peter. Why? Because he was forgoing liberty, placing bondage and condemnation on Gentiles, to appease somebody that had an unbiblical perspective on the idea, which were the Judaizers. Again, if we carry forward, like, well, you shouldn't drink uh, because there are some Christians that have a problem with that. Like, that's the same dynamic. In fact, if, if that's what Paul was trying to articulate by preferring the the, the brother, then, then Paul would have commended Peter. And he would have told all the Gentiles still eating bacon, hey, these guys think that's wrong. You should stop it. But he doesn't. He takes the opposite approach. So so we're talking about this topic. Well, well Paul says... Um, you know, I'll, I'll lay aside my liberty in order to reach a brother. Well, doesn't that apply? Yes, not how you think. Who's the brother in the context in which Paul's saying this? And I believe it's 1 Corinthians. The brethren are literally his brethren, the Jewish people that he's trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul talks about foregoing liberty or certain things in the pursuit of the gospel of Jesus and salvation. He's not talking about church culture. He's talking about being an evangelist. An example, if, if I go to Utah and I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to reach Mormons for Jesus, if I'm walking around Salt Lake City with a beer in my hand, guess what I've immediately eliminated my chances of doing? Reaching Mormons. Reaching any Mormon. So what should I do? What is the appropriate godly thing to do? Lay aside my liberty. Put on a button-up and a tie. In, in the pursuit of reaching someone for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can see that in all kinds of cultural ways. You know, things that, okay, I'm free to do this, but I really want to reach this person for the gospel, and I know this will be a stumbling block. so I should lay it aside? This is not church culture. And in the context of church culture, because we're free in Christ, we hold to what the Bible says. Um, it's the same idea, I, I'll never forget my dad years ago, um, this guy in the church, uh, it was a church event. It was like a ladies' tea. And, and one of the teenagers came to serve, to volunteer, right, to kind of basically literally wait tables. And he was wearing a baseball cap, had it on backwards, and he was doing his thing. And this older guy in the church got really bent out of shape and, and pulled the young man aside and said, Son, you need, to res- you need to have more respect. You need to take that hat off in the house of the Lord. Now, does the Bible say that? No, this is purely a cultural thing.
4: It actually says the opposite. It actually says the opposite, but th- and
1: that's also a cultural thing, so it doesn't really matter. You know. <laughs> but my dad, my dad, I'll never forget, I watched him. He walked over, got in this man's face, and says, don't miss it, he's here serving Jesus, and the hat doesn't mean a thing. Like, get, get over it. It doesn't matter. Now, to that man, it mattered. But does it matter? No. And so there are times that we have to defend liberty because of because of what it means like Christ died to set us free. Now, that's not to be drunk or to be a drunkard. But if you want to have a beer at dinner or red wine with your steak or a nightcap after a long day, if you want to drink in moderation, have a few beers at the pool or a beer when you're done mowing your yard, or at the ball game, like best place to have a beer. Like there's not like like I mean again, we know what sin is, and we know what sin isn't. Let it be. Now, I will say, if, if you don't want to drink alcohol, don't. Like, you're free in Christ. No judgment from me. In fact, there are people that I know that don't, don't have the same beliefs that I do about alcohol. It would be wrong for me to flaunt, to flaunt my liberty. Now, if, if they were like, hey, you can't drink around me. We, we have a problem. We have a problem because now, now we're dealing with like bigger issues. But me as a believer, just knowing, hey, you know what? Like this isn't a thing. And it would be silly for me to make it a thing because it's not like. I'll take a Dr. Pepper at dinner. I, I could care less. Like, am I free to have a beer? Sure. But I know how they feel. And I don't want to. I don't want there to be something between us to be a, a problem so you know what? In that context, like I'm not, there's a difference between enjoying liberty and flaunting liberty um, because flaunting liberty is prideful and, it's, and it fosters disunity. And again, it's not, it's not Christ-like. Um, you go back to, and again, this is, um, to me, it's, it's the Passover. You know, Jesus with the disciples in the upper room. And Jesus waited for the third cup that came after the Afakomen, that centerpiece of matzah that was broken, where he says, take, eat, this is my body. You know, Jesus takes imagery for the Afakomen that's existed for 2,000 years, and he redefines it right there. Not that he redefined it, because it had its original imagery to begin with. But he makes it clear. Like, you've always thought that this represented Isaac. It represents me. This is my body that was broken. And then he takes the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he passes... What is it? It's wine. Like, it wasn't Welch's grape juice. Which, by the way, do you know why we have Welch's grape juice? Southern Baptists needs nope. some wine that... Nope. That- A guy named Thomas Welch, who didn't want there to be was a, was a prohibitionist welch literally invented grape juice for the purposes of communion to remove alcohol from it when it had been celebrated with alcohol for 1800 years before that which is why at Calvary 316 we have an actual wine option because that's what Jesus used because it wasn't supposed to be sweet redemption was sour redemption redemption you took a sip and it was to be bitter. It wasn't to be laced with so much sugar, you're, 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 you had a cavity, grape juice. It was to have a bite. And, and there was alcohol, which is the product of fermentation because there was death associated with it. Jesus became sin. There was a corrosion. Like, we, like we've abandoned the imagery of it. Um, so in regards to alcohol, there isn't a prohibition against it. Um... There is the exhortation to moderation. Again, you know, you go through the New Testament every time alcohol is mentioned, so specifically drunkenness. It's always in the same list as gluttony. And yet, you don't see a whole move of the church calling out fat pastors for being gluttons. You know, you don't get a lot of that. Like, hey, you're misrepresenting Christ by being being fat and out of shape, and you and the temple of the living God's and clothes with lard (laughs) have more self-control. We don't, we, we don't do that. And yet every time you get drunkenness, it's always paired with gluttony. And yet the pastors that want to rail on alcohol are stuffing their fat faces full of food. And that's equally sinful. So, you know, this is all going to get me in trouble, but, um, thank that's you, Creighton.
0: What, yeah, that's what I'm here for.
1: Yeah, that's what you're here I, for.
4: I think for me, like, because I grew up in Calvary Chapel, very, and, and every Calvary Chapel seems to take on the the taste of the area that they're in, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess. So, like, being in the South, very, at least mine was very Southern Baptist, like, I don't know about Calvary Stone Mountain, but, like, everybody there was, like, no alcohol, basically, is how I grew up. And... Mm-hmm. Then when I turned 21, I would drink every now and then, but it wasn't a main focus. And then I didn't really understand that until I moved to, I moved to Israel to do my, my master's degree. And now I'm in the Jewish culture and even the Messianic Jews, it was wine and stuff like that was a part of everything, whether that be a Shabbat dinner or the certain holidays and stuff like that. It, It alcohol was a, 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 main part of those things and and it just kind of changed my perspective on right a lot of things whereas is is almost a central part of what the bible says is you know wine was everyday thing there and then here i am with the god's people and they're still drinking wine and stuff mm-hmm. like that and
1: i think was, a lot of i think a lot of the um um a lot of like within calvary chapel in particular the perspective, that approach to alcohol derives itself. I, I do agree with the, the, the cultural thing to an extent. I think uh, Pastor Chuck's perspective on it was a large driver for a lot of people that looked at Pastor Chuck as being their pastor. Um, and, and secondly, a lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors, uh, first generation, were ex-hippies, were ex-drug addicts, were ex-drunks. Like, they came out of a very hedonistic, abuse-oriented culture, substance abuse culture, and and they found Christ. And it's like, but their only exposure to this was, like, the excess and the destructive nature of it. And again, these are people that are coming out of the 60s, you know, in the 70s. And so, you know, like, I didn't grow up around alcohol at all. Like... I, there was there wasn't it just was a non non sequitur it wasn't it wasn't a part of our life in 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 any way um, you know I remember going I was 27 before I ever tasted alcohol um, and I remember the first time that I actually went to a Thrasher's hockey game and the guy I was with ordered a beer and I felt super awkward because I had never been around a beer like I didn't drink in high school I didn't drink in college I didn't drink in young adulthood. You know, I was a teetotaler. And yet I started I started having exposure around other Christians in similar context of, of what you're saying in Israel, where it's like, oh my goodness, like a drop of alcohol isn't as drunkenness. There is there is a a different way of looking at this, a different a different perspective on it. And then I started looking at the scriptures and it's like, Well, I you know, I I'm I'm I don't need to be a teetotaler here. Now whether or not I like it or not is a totally different topic. I'll never forget the first time I had a beer. First beer I ever had. Um, I'd always heard, hey, uh, you get done working in the yard. Get done mowing. Nothing like cracking a cold one and enjoying a beer. Again, I have no Amen. context <laughs> about alcohol at all. So I was like, it was going to be a Saturday. I was like, I'm going to get out. and to work in the yard all day. I'm going to have a beer. So I went to Kroger. And I'm looking at the beer aisle, and there's like a thousand options, and I have no idea. I don't know any of the difference between any beers. I don't know dark beers to light beers. Oh, I don't God. know. I don't know anything. Oh my gosh! And so I'm like, I've heard of Guinness. <laughs> 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 And so I got a six pack of Guinness
0: <laughs> and I put Wait, it in the refrigerator. I put it in the fridge. Oh,
1: this is a hundred percent true. Oh my God. I gosh. put it in the refrigerator and dude, it's like a July s- yeah. Saturday. <laughs> dude, it's a hun- hundred degrees outside. I've got no shirt. I'm soaked from head to toe in sweat. Um, I mean, I- it's, it's, it is still, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. So, I mean, it's like a hundred percent humidity. It oh is gross gosh. outside. And I'm so, I feel so good about my yard. It looks great. I had run in the sprinklers. I was like, I'm gonna have a beer. So I grabbed a Guinness and I popped the lid. I took one sip, thought I was gonna die. And I was like, this isn't refreshing at all. Like what in the world are people talking about? But I mean, I can't judge it unless I try it. So I drank about half of it you and was like, I was like, I'm never gonna have a beer again in my life. This is just the most ridiculous thing. Why do people like this? And I was telling a friend, like, a couple weeks later about this story. It, dude, it was dying laughing. I mean, he was doubled over laughing. So he had to explain to me the differences of beer. He's like, that's, a, like, a dead of winter beer. Like, yeah. you don't want to be sweating. You like, picked the
4: thickest. It's, yeah. it's amazing
1: you didn't die. See, I'm the, I'm the opposite.
4: The first beer I had was also
1: a Guinness, but I loved it. Did mm-hmm. you get done mowing your yard? I don't remember. Okay. No, No, it was the, it was the context, but I'm just saying like, that's so funny. Yeah. That was the first, the first time I had ever, um, you know, tried to
3: experience. Yeah. And it was like,
1: I had, I had just, I had no context. I
3: think
4: I also, rather than just going to Israel too, just some of my favorite authors like CS Lewis and great men of God that I've read their kind of biographies they used to go to the pub and talk about Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> while smoking pipes and drinking beer. C.S. Uh, yeah. Lewis and yeah. uh, J.R. Yeah. So, Tolkien. I mean, we went to the Hung
3: same out. church too, and like that's I'm trying to recall. Younger me thinking about alcohol, like, I mean, my parents would drink, but only occasionally. And I know, like, in the church, it would just kind of seem taboo. I never thought about it when I was like younger, like, wouldn't steal my parents' alcohol or anything. I was 14. I was like, dude, if I take a shot out of this and fill it with water, like, I can tell the difference. They can definitely tell the difference. I wouldn't do that. But I remember being at our youth pastor's house, like, after church on a Sunday, just hanging out, right? well, like, the whole youth group's there, and, like, going into the fridge for something and seeing, like, a wine cooler or two. And I was like, oh, he's got alcohol. These and people are filled with Satan. No, <laughs> I didn't think about that. I took it, and I'm like, well, other people don't drink, and I already understood that we had our own liberties and everything and that, and, like, just you don't do it to cause somebody else to stumble. But I remember seeing that. I'm like, well, he drinks, and I respect him and admire him. So, like, I don't really see how it could be that big of a deal. It's up to you. And that's the only time where I can really remember even thinking anything, like, at a younger age in the church related to alcohol.
1: I've said this at Calvary 316. You guys have heard the refrain. And, and, it, and it, is, it is, I think it's the easiest way to just summarize the topic. Um, drink like Jesus drank and realize he's there with you while you're drinking. You know, I mean, it's, 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 that simple. Like Jesus drank, but it was in moderation and he drank good stuff. Would you grab a
3: third beer with me right now or
1: not? I mean, I mean, it's, it, 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 it really boils, it boils uh, down beers, to, yeah. it boils down to like, um, like I'm filled with the Holy spirit. I, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. Like I'm responsible for my actions. Like, yes, th- there's, there's a danger in this thing. Um, if, if it's approached the wrong way and if it's handled the wrong way, um, I think as far as our approach to it, um, I think one of the biggest, the biggest things that I think is a danger, and this gets back to an earlier point, is when a church takes a position on alcohol, that's a hard line, um, uh, especially with kids and teenagers. And that's, that's, that's the status quo, but then kids, kids kids learn more about you by what you do than what you say. But then they see you live a totally different way. Um, or it's, or it's kept private. Like we're very Jessica and I are very, are very open with our children. Like we're not, we're not, you know, we're not trying, you know, kids often rebel against the things that you're, you're, you're hiding, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you rail on something that, that tends to be a good indicator of what they're going to gravitate towards. Um, it's a kind of a natural psychology of it. Especially if they ever see you do it after you rail on them. After you rail on it, or like, or like you're being a hypocrite about it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be a hypocrite. Um, like, it's okay. Um, I think if you actually create a culture of liberty, um, there's way more accountability because things are in the open. Things are not, things are not being done in secret. Things are not done under, under a guise of, we don't talk about this, or that's taboo. Um, you know, with you guys, it, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to be like, Hey, I think you, I think you, you might want to stop drinking. I, th- I think you're kind of out of your limit because of an openness that already exists versus everybody's doing this in private. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get back to that one thing, uh, cause we're running out of time. Um, why you drink is an important thing. Yes. Um, the Bible does seem to place, uh, drinking within celebration. Within joy, it's associated with merriment. Um, there's warnings about the strong drink in the scriptures within the context of depression, um, within the context of grieving. Um, alcohol is a suppressant. Um, alcohol, alcohol is um, there is a dynamic regarding alcohol um, where it suppresses. Um, so, so again, you why are you drinking? Also plays a role because it's like you know instead of going to the bottle, maybe you need to be on your knees before Jesus. Instead of running from an issue, trying to forget an issue, trying to mask an issue, um, you need to confront an issue. You need to talk through an issue. Um, alcohol can provide an escape, and and in that dynamic, it becomes an idol. Um, it becomes a, a false savior, promising a false escape from a real pain, um, and that's that's where I think. Uh, people also need to be very careful. Um, wh- why are you drinking? Um, hey, I've had a long day. Um, I want a nightcap to kind of uh, cool off with the ball game. Uh, hey, I don't see a, a reason with that. Um, I'm having marital problems and I'm, I can't cope with it. And so I'm going to grab a bottle and sit on my back de- deck and escape. Not a good reason. Also, bad night. Yeah. There's no way to have a good night like that. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like,. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, absolutely. I think that that's another component. Let me add one, one more thing. Um, because, because again, I, I know that there ends up being a point of contention about, okay, Zach, I'm with you here, but what about pastors? Can pastors drink? Uh, because, again, in the Old Testament, there was a prohibition against uh, the priest drinking. Um, and then Paul talks about um, deacons uh, not being given to much wine. Um, and elders not being given to wine. Uh, What's the position here? Uh, Well, first, um, I don't think... I mean, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, Um, so we have to take some context that, like, okay, Jesus drank, um, so this can't be a full prohibition, so what's happening? In regards to the Old Testament priesthood, um, there seems to be a a very clear designation, and I think that this can carry over to church culture. uh, a, a, A priest was prohibited from drinking while he's performing his religious duties at the temple. So while he's perfor- like making the offerings and, and doing the sac- like he can't be drinking on the job. Um, I, I would carry that over to the modern day church. Um, I don't think it's probably appropriate for a pastor to be drinking behind the pulpit um, for, you know, for him to be drinking on the job um, within the, the, the context of his priestly duties or pastoral role with what Paul talks about being <clears throat> not given to it's not to be at the table of it's not a prohibition so um, in regards to the deacon you' can be at you can be at the table for a little bit <laughs> um, but an elder can't be at the table of meaning he can't and and again the way that we take this at Calvary 316 is that for our elders uh, you you never um, you never need to you, you should never drink enough that you can't perform your elderly duty if called upon. So again, you're, you're, we're always on the clock, 24 hours a day. So again, me as a pastor, uh, do I have liberty to have a drink at home? Sure. Um, but it could be, hey, it could be late. My wife and I could have dinner. We could have a glass of wine. Uh, but I could get a call at 1130 that somebody's been in a car accident and they need their pastor at the scene or, or I need to get to the hospital or, or someone's got an issue. Heaven forbid I'd ever be in, in, a, in a point of inebriation. That I can't get into my car and fulfill my God given calling, um, and I think that, and I think that's the exhortation that Paul's making to the elders. Deacons don't have that same responsibility, so they're, they're you know the expectations lessened. It's heightened for an elder because uh, people deserve to have their pastor when they need their pastor.
4: What about people that run the live stream and sound booth? <laughs> you need
0: to be good Sunday mornings.
1: Okay, when you're <laughs> called upon, <laughs> you're called. Upon. <laughs> Not to be given too much, Justin. (laughs) Not to be given too much. So, again, uh, let me me close by just reiterating. um, This is a a hot-button topic. I am only speaking for myself. I am not speaking for any other Adams. I am only speaking for Zach Adams. Um, I'm speaking for me, for my wife. I'm also speaking for Calvary 316. Um, as an independent church that's affiliated with Calvary Chapel, but I'm not speaking for Calvary Chapel as a whole. Um, this is this is one man's position. Um, that is the reflection as well of, this, of his church's position, uh, but might not be the same position held by all the pastors within the non-denomination, um, so sort to of speak. And, and I think that there's freedom there um, as well. But I just need to make sure. And if you disagree, hey, more power to you. Um, if you want to abstain, there's no harm in that at all. Um, again, you can never be drunk if you don't have a drop. Um, and so there's there's safety in that. I just don't think it's fair for you to take a personal conviction and, uh, and push that on somebody else. Like I think the Holy Spirit's free to do what He wants within each of us, uh, individually within the framework of what the Bible has to say about a topic. Uh, you guys have anything to add to this? I know that was a lot of me talking and you guys listening. I apologize for that. Um, Kyle, you got anything?
2: Yeah. I mean, my biggest thought with it, we're on the, I mean, you are on the same page, obviously yeah. I've been a long time, but um, and you're one
1: of the elders of our church. So is Nick. <laughs> so, um, I'm
2: a deacon. God's made a lot of, a <laughs> lot of good things for us to specifically to enjoy or to serve a purpose for us. And maybe it was more perfect at the beginning of creation. Um, and you know, it's got some repercussions and some bad things that can happen now, but any of those good thing that, that God has made for us, if you do do it too much and you're not responsible with it, it's going to be harmful like so alcohol is the same as you know
1: hot sauce
2: yeah there's a good example <laughs> too much hot sauce well let me throw let me
1: throw out one more very let me end with more controversy oh great great no no that's exactly how we should it's end exactly show. what we need in this moment right yep so again within the context of the upper room right and what the cup of redemption really was that it was wine and it was alcohol Jesus said, what did he say? He said, I won't partake of this cup again. Until when? I get back. till the kingdom. Which means that at some point, the teetotalers will have to be forced and faced with a <laughs> real proposition that Jesus is having a good time drinking wine. Um, he's not right now. He's busy preparing. A place for us, but he says there the day will come. Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? I haven't.
4: It's exciting, and there's some drinking of some wine, so look forward to it when Jesus gets back, because <laughs> mm-hmm. he, you know... The whole about. marriage
1: supper of
3: yeah. the Lamb thing? Gotcha. I'm going to get a menorah full. Yeah yeah yeah. Menorah <laughs> yeah, foam. Oh, now don't now want we're to fall down. now, now. <laughs> all right. Now we're we're losing. We need to wrap, wrap this up. We wrap we're this losing, up.
1: It. we're <laughs> losing. it. We're losing. it. Creighton, did we did did we cover?
0: Nailed it. I thought that was very good. I thought you did a good job of walking around some landmines that could have blown your leg off. Um, I liked it a lot. All right, sounds great. Well, so I'm gonna take us out of here. No, I'm gonna roll. Nobody's the music. argued with us. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Any any thoughts on online? Well, I the music's already rolling, so you'll be quick. Yes,
0: we have one comment that we'll take offline. Uh, Jennifer likes your hair, and she says hello, and so does uh, Ann,
1: and Josh, who also likes your haircut. Oh, right on. That makes, well, yeah. we're gonna have to do well thank you so much. Thanks for stuff. watching the Outlaw Radio Show. If you're listening, check out the live stream at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. If you're watching, check out the podcast released on Thursday, Apple, Google, Spotify. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. I look forward to you guys being with me next week.